The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pilot episode of the Data Reaper podcast brought to you by Vicious Syndicate. My name is Ridiculous Hat. Uh, I am a writer and class expert, and we have with us the chief editor of the Data Reaper report himself, Zach O. How's it going, Zach? How you doing? Uh, doing okay. Hanging in there. And uh, I wanted to ask you, why are we starting a podcast? Why are we doing this now? So it's a popular request by the community. And not only that, but, you know, we were thinking about it. And we, we came to the conclusion that there's a lot of work behind the scenes uh, that we do in the report. And people are really interested in, you know, how we reach our conclusions and, and kind of want to, they're interested in, in, in the aspect of how we do our analysis. and they want to they're interested in more details about the conclusions that we find so i was thinking maybe we can do a podcast that doesn't necessarily read out the report because that's kind of redundant but expands a few subjects that come up every week and we can discuss them and i can provide more insight more of the meta wisdom regarding several important things that we found in the report itself so that people can, you know, read the report and then follow it up a couple of days later with, by listening to this podcast and uh, having more to hear from, from me about uh, the research that we've done uh, for that week. Yeah, well, and it seems like this meta has a lot to talk about. Uh, let's get right into it and look at the state of the post-patch meta because I don't think there has been as much ambiguity in uh, in what we're seeing here as any meta I can remember in a while. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the current meta is very much in its diapers, and it's been a long time since I worked on a report and, and looked at the data and saw so many things that are still undiscovered or are still very unpopular. And those things could dramatically change the meta that we're encountering today. So. It's kind of a exciting times for Hearthstone, and it'll be interesting to see how things develop. Yeah, and and looking at this report, it looks like the nerfs were pretty effective at changing things in a subtle but significant way. Uh, we you know we chatted about it before, but looking at at where things are going, I don't know. They it doesn't feel like they nerfed Rogue that much, but it's really struggling to find a home. Whereas they nerfed Agro Demon Hunter a third time. And it is the number one deck, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is about uh, the balance changes is that, you know, in initial glance, you look at the report and you see Agro Demon Hunter is the best performing deck. Uh, and, and then you ask yourself, okay, so what's changed? Agro Demon Hunter is even better than it was before the balance changes. So are we going to run into the same old story? But it's not really true. So what's happening right now is that Agro Demon Hunter, when you look at the second best deck, it's Highlander Hunter. So these two decks are very refined. Their builds, they didn't need to make any adjustments. Their builds are very efficient, very clean builds. And they're very good decks to punish uh, unrefined 
decks from other classes because they have this beat-down, streamlined game plan that just punishes inefficiencies. So they're right now, they're the highest win rate decks. And if you took them to ladder over the last week, they would probably be the best choices you could take. But Aggro Demon Hunter currently is benefiting from the fact that its worst matchup, the one big counter that it has in Rage Warrior, dropped in play because of the balance changes. Did it need to drop in play? Not really, because in Rage Warrior is still a very powerful deck, and the class itself, we'll talk about Warrior class um, later on in more detail, but the Warrior class is extremely powerful, and it's going to rise in popularity, and once it does, then Aggro Demon Hunter is not going to look that great. When you look at the report, you have the top performing decks, and the thing that they have in common, their builds are figure out. And then you look at the tier 2 and tier 3, and a lot of the archetypes there don't have things figured out. Yeah, it's you're right. The tier 1 decks, Aggro Demon Hunter, Highlander Hunter, and Rage Warrior, Highlander Mage, I don't know if a single card has changed. I guess Demon Hunter is not generally running Sigil Runner anymore, um, but Highlander Hunter, is. It, they did not cut Scavenger's Ingenuity. Yeah, essentially nothing has changed about these decks. Even Aggro Demon Hunter still runs uh, Sigil Runner. You're not running the Priestess build anymore, but the most popular builds of Aggro Demon Hunter still run Sigil Runner. It's still a fine card to run. You can replace it, but it's not mandatory. And the deck performs very well still with Sigil Runner. That's the most important thing. So the deck doesn't need to adjust, doesn't need to make any changes um, for, for the current meta. It just does well, and it punishes, uh, as I said, uh, lack of efficiency from other classes. And it's interesting that Mage is actually Tier 1. The play rate of Mage has been pretty low. Even though it seems like the deck is a pretty reasonable matchup spread. I'm surprised we're not seeing more of it. After the balance changes, it did rise in popularity. Uh, it's not too popular, probably because Hunter is very popular on the Climb the Legend. So uh, that matchup um, is not just bad, but it also feels very bad. So running to a lot of Hunters can definitely hurt your your how you feel about Highlander Mage. But uh, Highlander Mage is very good against the rest of the field. Um, it's good against Warrior. It's matchup against Warrior improved because of the balance changes. Um, it doesn't really lose to anything else besides Hunter. So it's a pretty good choice, but I do expect since its build is refined and much like the other top performing decks, um, it's probably going to fall down a bit as other classes become more efficient. Yeah, and it also depends if we start to see a rise in wrench calibers on the ladder. Because that definitely is a bit of a challenge, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Most importantly, though, is that the balance changes not only kind of slightly lowered the power level of the best decks, and we'll start seeing that transpire over the next couple of weeks. They've also given more room for other strategies, slower strategies, uh, to flourish. And two great examples are Spelldroid and Quest Warlock. And both of these decks, if they had something common between them, it's the fact that they're very passive in the early game. Both of them kind of sit in the first few turns. Quest Warlock just taps in order to um, start its quest progression, and Spelldroid just looks to ramp. They do nothing in the early game. So when Enrage Warrior and Demon Hunter were really, really fast, you know, Warrior with the Blood Sworn Mercenary blowout turns on turn 3, while Aggro Demon Hunter with the really fast early game and Sigil Runner was actually uh, low-key a very important uh, component in that. Uh, now these decks suddenly have more room to breathe and you're starting to see them 
develop and perform at a, at a higher level. Yeah, the latter has absolutely, you can see the shift almost day by day. Um, and I think it was earlier this week that Quest Warlock just kind of exploded. Uh, and Spelldruid as well has really been picking up. Uh, there, there's both the, I don't want to call it the Maligos build, because I don't think it's, as, as we discussed in the report, it's, it's a Breath of Dreams build. Yeah, it's a dragon build. Yeah. It's more about being dragons, using dragons in order to ramp faster with Breath of Dreams and a follow-up overgrowth. That's the main synergy. That's the main uh, enticing thing about that deck. But we'll talk about it a little bit later, about this uh, mal- uh, dragon build. So let's uh, talk about... I think I think we should talk about the class that is very possibly the best class in the game. And there's a lot to talk about it which is uh, Warrior. Uh, while Agro Demon Hunter and uh, Highlander Hunter are the top performers now, if I had to guess, I would say that Warrior has a great chance of seizing the top performing spot. Have Enraged Warrior, obviously. Still very, very powerful. Um, if it became the best deck next week, I wouldn't be surprised. It's already untouchable in tournaments. Like Pro players largely agree that it's the best deck. There's some other calls, interesting calls, but uh, and Wedge Warrior is just a top performer there. Um, but Warrior is not just about Enrage Warrior. We've seen two other decks from the Warrior class that have been performing at a very high level um, this week. And there were big surprises for us. And I was also generally surprised about them. Um, so the first deck is Control Bomb Warrior. And that is our meta breaker for this week. Uh, and this deck showed up a little bit before the patch but if it tacked too aggressively for the faster matchups it just completely fell off in the slower matchups and now that the early game is a little bit slower in this meta bomb warrior can kind of shave off some of its defensive in the early game cards like Wormall challenger are not really necessary and it can really ramp up its power level late while still maintaining a good matchup against aggro demon hunter so now it blew up, it starts to blow up this week, and it performs at a tier one level. And the most important thing is that its matchup spread means that a rise in its popularity is going to redefine power levels of other classes across the board. Think about every Highlander deck out there that has to deal with bombs now. Uh, think about every deck that wants to draw its cards very aggressively, things like Quest Warlock. And Druid are heavily affected by the rise, a potential rise of Bomb Warrior. And that's exciting because the deck is barely played right now. It starts to rise and it could completely change uh, uh, how we view classes, uh, both on ladder and in tournaments. Because in tournaments, everybody's running on Rage Warrior now. But now you suddenly have another option to potentially target other decks. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see that. Yeah, looking at this list, it's definitely, it's a it's a control warrior, but oddly enough, I think Enrage Warrior is probably better at killing little minions. This is more a, it, it's got a, a really nice disruption package with the wrench caliber, but the build that we're featuring, the Metabreaker build, we don't normally see that uh, innovation that Meaty really popularized of including Greenskin and Grom in, in this deck, in Bomb Warrior. Uh, what is the, what's the reasoning for that tweak? Yeah, so basically, um, 
this 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 control bomb warrior is a lot more proactive than other control bits. We're used to control warrior being uh, this attrition deck that just tries to remove everything and, and you know i've heard people call this you know you should call it bomb warrior but we wanted to make a clear distinction between wrench caliber uh, being played in the rage warrior and wrench calibers being played in the control shell but uh, the, the important thing to keep in mind is that control decks don't necessarily have to just be these fatigue decks to just kill everything control warrior back in classic back in vanilla when Hearthstone first came out was a deck that had a late game that looked to kill you with Grom Hellscream. So this deck is all about removing things and controlling the board and trying to fend off aggression, but pressuring life totals with the bomb package, with Blastmaster Boom, and then putting the opponent low enough to finish it off with Grom. But Grom and Green Scheme specifically have value, carry value in an important matchup, which is the Priest matchup. So standard builds, common builds on ladder right now that run Bomb Warrior, control Bomb Warrior, they have horrible, horrible matchup against Priest. It's something like close to 25, 75, maybe Ugh. even worse than that. It's just, wow. it's just, yeah, it's just really, really bad. And even though Priest is not hugely popular, when you have one matchup that is that bad, it really hurts you and it makes it very difficult for a deck to be top tier. But Having green skin and running Grom, having a finisher, uh, just provides significant percentages to the point where the matchup is, it's still unfavored, it's not an easy matchup, but maybe it's 35-65, maybe it's 40-60 even. Just having that reach and being able to, you know, you your game plan against Priest is basically you're almost a combo deck. You try to chip, do chip damage through Wrench Caliber, and Captain Greenskin really helps with doing more damage uh, that way. And then putting them low enough so you can finish them uh, with Grom. I personally played this deck, and I ran into the. I beat the first three priests I saw because they didn't expect the Grom. So now they'll probably start expecting it, but it definitely gives you a better chance. But also. Proactivity is generally very good. If you have the opportunity to kill your opponent now, it's better to do that than let the, give them time to find their outs later on. Uh, control decks don't need to be super passive. If they can have a button to press that can just finish the game, they should aim to do that. And uh, Grom is a direction, is a very strong direction uh, for the deck for that reason. Just gives the warrior a way to just finish the game and not run the risk of being outvalued by Rogue, for example, or Mage. Yeah, or even Demon Hunter. Because sometimes, sometimes, you can't really go, you can't attrition with a control deck in this format all that well, because sometimes Demon Hunter goes skull into skull, and then you, you are suddenly behind again, even after clearing the board. But I, I will say that after playing with this deck a little bit as well, uh, the addition of the extra damage really does make the Priest matchup feel tangibly different. One of my favorite things to do in slower matchups is you set it for two big damage turns uh, and skipper boom into Grom, sword and board my own Grom uh, is usually too much for those slower decks to deal with, especially if you've done chip damage beforehand. Yeah, a skipper boom is a very devastating play, especially against the classes with lack of healing like mage and rogue. It just puts them so, so low that eventually they either die to bombs or they die to your 
Rom. But you you raise a very good point about Demon Hunter, and I think it's important to note that you know Control Bomb Warrior this deck is only slightly favored against Demon Hunter. You're looking at maybe a 55. 45 matchup and it, it's interesting because a lot of people think oh you know control decks with removal and life gain should beat demon hunter in theory but it doesn't actually happen you look at decks like quest warlock and calicorn priest they they're well equipped to remove all the demon hunters uh, minions they're they're well equipped to heal for a lot and yet they don't beat demon hunter and the reason why is that they don't have counter pressure they they, they usually don't have the tools necessary to swing the board and pressure and kill the Demon Hunter quickly, which gives the Demon Hunter time to just draw its whole deck. And when it draws its whole deck, it finds its Altruist. And Altruist is just a devastating finisher that even decks that have life gain, that have excellent removal, struggle to deal with. You have to turn the tables and kill the Demon Hunter because it's almost like a combo deck uh, in the late game. It just finds the altruist and just kills you with that um which is by the way the reason why a lot of people were kind of were kind of upset that you know altruist still does face damage i think if altruist even if it was a three mana three two right now and it didn't deal the face damage it's very possible that control decks like galicon priest or you know heavy removal decks like quest warlock would be able to beat demon hunter consistently if they didn't have that devastating finisher. So it's an interesting thing to note. Yeah, in my experience playing a lot of Demon Hunter this month, in some matchups, the game plan is just skull and hold all the cards and set up an altruist for six or seven. And it's it's pretty incredible how big of a swing that can be. It feels like an Edwin Van Cleef for the late game, uh, but then it keeps happening every turn if they let it stick, which they try not to, but they might be dead. Yeah, so which is why bombs... And having Grom really helps in that matchup because they draw their whole deck, so they also draw their bombs, and then they might be low enough for you to kill them before they, you know, turn the tables with Altruist. Uh, but, you know, there's obviously another Warrior deck, and it's very, very different from Control Bomb Warrior or even Enrage Warrior. And I was personally shocked to see this deck do as well as it does because when I looked over the cards that it runs, I was like, is this real? Is this deck real? But apparently it is, and that's Pyre Warrior. It it looks it looks super sketchy, I think is the way I'll put it. It doesn't seem like something that's that belongs in this meta, but it, it like are we really running imprisoned Ganarg? But the stats say imprisoned Ganarg is insane on turn one. Imprisoned Ganarg is actually stronger than Corsair Cash in wow. the early game. It's better to have imprisoned Ganarg in your opening hand than Corsair Cash. Think about how unreal that is. Uh, but yeah, the card is just really good. And Pyre Warrior in Standard in 2020 is actually a really powerful deck. Now, I don't expect... Now, the report, we put it at Tier 1 as a low sample estimate because it performs at a Tier 1 level, make no mistake. But we probably do expect its win rate to fall off a bit as it grows in popularity because the main thing that makes it so devastating is that nobody sees it coming you know you run into a warrior you run into a warrior on the ladder and what are you mulligan for like let's say you're rogue you're throwing away your backstabs and your your seal fate because it's pretty useless against enrage warrior and then you suddenly see pyre warrior start hitting you in the face and you have no defenses so it it's very confusing to run into that deck on ladder personally i took it for a few games 
at high legend, and I did very well with it. So even though the the, the deck looks really strange and it's kind of unbelievable how well it does, it does very well. It's a real deck. Ganarg, um, two great synergies that it has: Bloodsail Raider and Dread Corsair. You play it on one, and then turn three, you can develop so many stats. Uh, on the board that the opponent just can't deal with it. The deck has a lot of damage. Even a deck like Control Warrior, uh, if it runs into Pyro Warrior and Pyro Warrior starts dealing a lot of damage, there's no, you know, no deck has that much healing to offset the amount of damage that you can unleash. And Pyro Warrior with Livewire Lance can go along. It can go into the late game. It can draw a lot of cards. It can even outvalue some decks in some situations with uh, Horde Pillager. So the deck is definitely not as one-dimensional as it may look. And it has game, uh, has damage, has good resource generation, has good minions, powerful minions. It's it's good. So you can give it a try. It's probably one of the best ladder decks to just quickly climb the legend right now because if you have fast games, people don't expect it, and it's just very efficient. Yeah, and with the with double lance and double horde pillager and and lackey nonsense going on, I am certain that there is enough pressure here to keep going. But you may just kill the opponent on turn six. Um, you know, if you see, and you can even disguise what deck you're playing if you really want to. If you don't have Ganargon one, if you go Sky Raider and a Corsair Cache, you look like a Rage Warrior. People aren't going to expect an, a six three Arcanite Reaper to come out of that. Or uh, no, we're not playing a Reaper. Yeah, well, Reaper is actually played in ladder builds, but we chose to remove it. It's not good in the deck because it has anti-synergy with Corsair Catch. You really want to play Corsair Catch into a turn 3 weapon, and drawing Arcanite Reaper off of Cash on turn 2 is not really a good play. Uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of my games, you know, I equip the weapon on 3, and they think I'm in Rage Warrior. And then suddenly Dread Corsair coming in, and they're like, okay, what's going on here? And you know, I, I I think I beat a druid that had Breath of Dreams on two into over uh, overgrowth into the nuts. He still died because he had like twelve health on turn four. So wow. it's the deck can be very fast. Sometimes you have games where you draw two mortal strikes in your opening hand, and that feels bad. But yeah, the deck is has definitely has game. Yeah, because other games you also have two parachute brigands in your opening hand, and it's turn one, six power and stats go. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Good stats. Lots of yeah. stats. Turn one. Good. And I'd imagine that this class is good at pressuring uh, decks that are weak to aggro, which means we should talk about Galakrond Rogue. Yes. Gal so Rogue is perhaps the class that's most confused right now. Unsettled. Uh, I would say nobody really knows how Galakrond Rogue should be built right now, including us. We're also experimenting we're also trying to figure out the best approach uh for the class uh but it seems that you know the, the one thing is clear is that the secret variant is definitely weaker now than before the balance changes hanar being a 1-4 means that its early game blowout potential is a lot weaker um it's easier to remove so just playing it on turn two is not as powerful as it used to be and Stunners is also a very meaningful change because having the minion cost two more essentially is reads as silence and destroy a minion because that minion is never getting replayed. But in slow matchups, when you 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 need to deal with a Dragon Queen Alexstrasza, it actually matters that Stunner 
doesn't essentially destroy the card and making it unplayable later. Um, it's just generally, definitely the secret variant is weaker. But the stealth build, which kind of disappeared um, a few weeks ago, has made its return, and it looks very promising. Uh, the most promising aspect of the stealth build is Greyheart Sage. Greyheart Sage looks like potentially one of the best draw engines in the format. Um, having it on turn 3 activated on turn 3 or turn 4 is uh, is very, very powerful and is much better than, for example, having a Miscreant on turn 3. Because the deck, it's a Galakron deck. It wants to draw its Invokes. It wants to draw its Galakron. So if you draw cards, you're more likely to get them. You're more likely to get a fully upgraded Galakron means you win a lot more. Uh, in the report, we we put two builds, right? We put one that's more standard build that's like, okay, this is the build that seems good based on the data that we have. And then we have a more extreme build, a turbo build, that the, the purpose is to make Greyheart Sage better. Because Greyheart Sage, based on the data, is starved. What do you mean starved? It means it doesn't have enough stealth minions to activate consistently. So we try to make it more consistent by running more stealth minions, including Worgen Infiltrator and Akama. So we'll see how that goes and whether, you know, cutting good cards like Miscreant, like Pharaoh Cat, that have to be cut because you have to make room for, for, for that package, whether cutting them is actually worth it or whether it's not. But Greyheart Sage looks like a card to watch out for. If not now, then definitely in the future. If Worgen Infiltrator ends up being too much of a liability to run, to activate, then that means that Sage is still somewhat limited in its power. But watch out for that card because Sage Saddle Step is probably the most powerful thing you can do in a rogue right now other than Edwin. A Pirate Warrior with Blood Sail Raider and a Rogue with Worgen Infiltrator. What is this format coming to? I have no idea. Yes. And, yeah, the I noticed that whenever I had either a uh, Spy Mistress or Skyvateer, and I was able to go either Sage or, even more so, turn four Sage, Shadow Step, Sage against any deck that gave me a minute, it was really hard to lose those games. It's a, it's a really, really strong play, and almost guarantees the, the Rogue Power Cards. There was actually a Galakrond Rogue list that hit Rank 1 Legend in, uh, in Asia Pacific last night. Uh, that is including the stealth package. Now they don't have organ infiltrators. They aren't. They aren't on that train yet. Um, so it remains to be seen if that's the way to go. Um, and you've been putting some spicy cards in Rogue this entire season because the flex card for this build is uh, a Zacco pet card. Is a togwaggle scheme over the Akama. When would we be doing that? So it's not exactly a pet card because um, scheme has always looked pretty bad. Uh, and the stats, though, it doesn't look that terrible right now. Um, but S Scheme is actually looking borderline playable. And with Bomb Warrior Rising in play, it could be potentially a, a good choice right now. So the thing about Scheme is that it's it, it's about having time. And it's it's one of the biggest features of the current meta after the balance changes. You have more time. Before the balance changes, you probably didn't have time to do Sage Shadow Step on turn 4. But now, you do. So suddenly, the stealth package looks a lot more enticing. So the thing about Scheme is that it gives you, since you have such powerful draw, you can uh, realistically draw into over, well over half of your deck very consistently in every uh, late game matchup. 
which means that Scheme can be just a completely devastating uh, late-game finisher uh, alongside Kronks or Tagwagul as well. In the Priest matchup, it just, like, it makes the Priest matchup so much easier uh, when you're running Scheme because it means that you just need to worry about tempo and not being overwhelmed by Priest's own swings. Uh, there is always the danger of Priest just killing you in the late game with Morozond and, 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 you know, their scammy things uh, using Fate Weaver and Mana Cheating. But as long as you manage to keep the board kind of even and not fall be way behind, then Scheme is just a, a devastating card against them. And if they steal the Scheme, usually they don't have the means to abuse it like you do. You don't need to worry about fatiguing them. You just need to play a lot, a lot of Kronxes or Crowns uh, against them, and they just fall over eventually. So this is the thinking behind Scheme. If Bomb Warrior becomes more popular, then maybe Scheme is is good because, you know, Greyyard Sage drawing a lot of cards. If you're running into Bomb Warrior, you kind of don't want to draw too many bombs and, and die because you don't have any healing. So you just fall over uh, to Bomb Warrior if you draw your whole deck. Yeah, it can be pretty tricky when your big wind-up punch is draw four cards and they say, go ahead. That's not really the situation you want to be in. And I think we've never really been super high on Highlander Rogue, but I think it's even more obvious now why we would have uh, some concerns about it. But also, is it possible to build an effective Highlander Rogue with a stealth package? Because we're really only optimizing for Sage, and we if we're starved in, with two copies of all the stealth minions... One copy is way tougher. Yeah, so the thing about Highlander Rogue is that it, re it it was really hurt by the Hanar nerf. Highlander Rogue is very reliant on having individually powerful cards, um, like Zephyrus, like Dragon Queen, Alex Trauzna. But Hanar was one of its, you know, biggest win conditions because you just needed Hanar in a secret in the late game to have a really powerful play. And now that Hanar is weaker, it's even more crippling because at least, you know, Galakron Rogue has better secret synergy or it can alternative switch to a completely different build but highlander Hun uh, rogue doesn't have that luxury so when it loses a individually powerful card it just loses a lot of steam and i don't expect highland rogue to be very successful we do see promise with the defensive highlander rogue that we featured in this report it's a pretty good way of just not dying and then that helps you get to your dragon queen alec turns and togwoggle but Generally, Highlander Rogue, don't really see it being a, a meta-defining deck. Yeah, especially now with the way things are going. Yeah, exactly. Bombs are a problem for that deck, or any Highlander. Yeah, it's uh, there already wasn't really a great reason to run Highlander, or, I mean, there wasn't really a great compelling reason to run Rogue in general until the build solidified, but uh, hopefully that changes, because I want to play with Valera again. It's been a minute. Um, now... A class that we do get to play with again is Malfurion. Uh, the the development and explosion of popularity in Druid is absolutely needs to be talked about because there's a lot here, and I feel like we didn't see any of this deck, uh, or at least not very much of it, since the very beginning of the expansion. It was experiments with early on. People tried it in tournaments, and then uh, as things stabilized and then Rage Warrior became more popular, it felt like Druid almost disappeared. What's changed? What's, what's caused this to happen? Druid's Renaissance is this terrific example of how, you know, even the smallest changes in the early game, like Mercenary, Turn 3, Blowouts, can really change an entire class's fortunes. 
Uh, a class that wants to play overgrowth and ramp to its late game uh, has benefited tremendously from the fact that you know the fast decks are just a little bit slower. So suddenly Mount Seller, a card that didn't look very good before the balance changes, looks very powerful now because Druid gets to that Mount Seller turn a lot more consistently. Um, so just ramping and not doing anything in the early game you know, and before the balance changes, maybe it leaves you with 12 health by the time you can do something. But no, maybe you have 16 or 17 health. And that makes a big difference uh, in Druid's ability to stabilize. So we see Spell Druid, um, you know, running overgrowth, um, doing very well and looking very promising. And it has two different variants. Um, the first one is the... Savage Roar Spell Droid, which is more similar to builds that we saw before the balance changes, you know, with double Mount Cellar, double Glow Fly Swarm, Savage Roar, Soul of the Forest also there. Kind of a low curve, Power of the Wild. So you basically ramp, get to your Mount Cellar or Glow Fly Swarm, Soul of the Forest, and kill them with Savage Roar. It's a pretty fast, straightforward approach. It's looking very powerful right now. Specifically, its main strength, very good against Hunter that don't have AoE and the ability to deal with a swarm or mount seller and are easy can be easily killed with a savage or and warlock that have you know dark skies you, you can't deal with uh doesn't deal with uh soul of the force for example or it struggles to deal with a, a mount seller that comes in a little bit too quickly and is very vulnerable to the burst damage from savage or uh, the other build, though, that we're starting to see develop, it's a little less refined right now, so it doesn't perform as well. However, the most promising thing about the other build is the fact that it's better against Warrior and Demon Hunter, which I expect to be the most prominent classes, um, or at least in the in the near future. So that build runs Breath of Dreams and Late Game Dragons. And um, the goal there is not necessarily, you know, you don't run Savage Roar, but you're running more of a, an attrition-focused deck that runs Ysera Unleash, and you look to draw the dragons, um, the spell spawning the dragons, and you have Alexstrasza that can just finish your opponent if you have a lot of power on play. And you also have the Malagos uh, opportunity with Moonfires. So usually Moonfires are used to fuel Mount Cellars, which is still very powerful in that variant. So both of these variants have merits, both of them benefit from the fact that Druid is just giving more time to develop its own game plan after the patch. And we'll see how what ends up being the, the correct build. I'm not sure there will be a straight-up correct build. But it's just nice to see that Druid actually has options now. Yeah, and the the builds, I think the original Dragonspell Druid builds were really trying to be Maligos Druid. And had Imprisoned Seder, which... It, that card is just not good, uh, at least not here, not in this application. And this makes a lot more sense that we're a Glowfly Swarm deck, but instead of trying to Savage Roar people, uh, we just try and kill them with big dragons, and uh, it's pretty effective at it. We get a slightly different spell package, and I, I was talking about this last night with some friends. Whenever you're able to go Breath of Dreams into Overgrowth into a Mount Cellar turn, it feels like you're playing a Tavern Brawl and your opponent is playing Standard. You just get to do so much goofy stuff. Mount Cellar is really the MVP of both of these variants. Uh, the ability to get there and just swarm the board with uh, three-cost bills is just devastating for any, for any opponent. And um, 
definitely run to mount sellers. I've seen the dragon build. The dragon builds are definitely not as refined because they don't run to mount sellers. Mount seller is absolutely core. You have to run that card. It wins you so many games. So I have to ask about our particular build of dragon spell druid. We have seven minions with fungal fortunes. Uh, what's the what's the logic behind including such a relatively high minion count? Yeah. So the this is a classic example of something that you know feels bad in 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 theory and people are like reserved about it oh i don't want to run too many minions because you know i'm running fungal fortunes and i don't want to discard a minion people really feel bad when something is discarded but it's much more important to have breath of dreams activated on turn two than the risk running seven minions instead of six which adds the risk of discarding minions discarding minions doesn't matter unless you hit fatigue the deck has multiple ways, multiple minions that can win you the game. And it's way more important to have your early ramp be consistent than the risk of discarding minions. In addition, Fungal Fortunes is very important post Yesera. After you play Yesera Unleashed, you can use it to draw um, the, the dragon spawn spells. And then the risk of discarding a minion is a lot less likely. Uh, but it's not important. It's like more important to have tempo now, having the ramp now, getting to that overgrowth follow-up rather than, oh, I just discarded a minion. That feels bad. So don't feel bad about it. It's not important if you discarded Malagos. Uh, Malagos is probably the best discard you could, the, the best minion you could discard because the card is not actually that, that important. It's actually the worst dragon. We were actually considering cutting it from the deck but eventually decided against it because it has value in some matchups. But don't worry about Fungal Fortune. Sometimes it will low roll. The 7 to 6 doesn't matter that much. What's important is Breath of Dreams activated on turn 2. The most powerful thing you can do in that variant and the reason why that variant is successful. Yeah, and really, having a 4-12 in a deck with Ironbark, it almost doesn't matter what the text is when you play it. The spell power, you don't need that to happen, even though it's nice to be able to Crystal Power, Moonfire, something large, or go face for six, or something like that. Um, but it seems like just having a large body to taunt up is really important, especially against, like, Enrage Warrior. But I'm noticing our our Savage Roar Glowfly Swarm build does not include Ysera. So that's been a much more popular development lately, uh, especially with tournament lists that they include the Ysera at the top end over Kael'thas. Um, we pop out at two Overflow and two Mount Cellar. So what's the difference there? Yeah, so Ysera is a is a good card in the Dragon variant. In the Roar variant, it's a lot worse. The reason why it's a lot worse is because the Roar variant doesn't look to take the game long. It it looks to ramp quickly, assemble its resources, or get to the Mount Solar turn and Savage Roar people. Ysera is more of an attrition card. And what we saw is that Ysera performs very well when you're playing late game Dragons and you have Breath of Dreams. That's another reason why to include her. And, you know, dragon the Dragon variant wears you down. And Ysera works out very well when you're trying to wear someone down. But when you're trying to kill people with Savage Roar, Ysera is not really the card that you're looking for. In addition, you're not running Breath of Dreams in this deck, which means your ramping is not as consistent. We're running one wild growth, but it's obviously not as good as Breath of Dreams. So you don't actually get to have time to run drop Ysera as much as you can with the Dragon variant. So we did see... We did identify that Ysera was not performing well, and 
it's you're better off just having faster cards. If you need attack for slow matchups, Ysera is probably not the right choice. It's better to run two Soul of the Forest in that variant rather than running Ysera. So that's that's why. And Kel'thas, way too slow. Um, not really worthwhile to cheat out on Overflow. It's not also not very worthwhile to use the spells for Kel'thas rather than Mount Seller. Mount Seller is just the better 7-drop right now. It's just so important to have tempo now, minions on the board now, and have a threat rather than drawing a bunch of cards with Overcrow, which is nice, but not as game-winning as uh, it was when it was 6-mana and really cheated out things like uh, Forest Aid, for example. Now we don't run Forest Aid. Yeah, and we're able to streamline the spell pool a lot. We don't have to run one Forest Aid, one Gift of the Wild anymore just because we're not leaning as heavily on Kael'thas, even though it'd be nice to have him at 6. At 7, he's just a little bit too slow. It seemed like a, a very light nerf, but it's actually obliterated the card from competitive standard play, which, you know, I don't know if I miss him too much. I don't miss him. One mana makes a big difference. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can look forward to our next report on the first week of June, Thursday the 4th. Well, we're expecting a lot of new and exciting developments. Uh, and we're still working out the the kinks and learning exactly what you all want in a podcast. This will be the first public episode. So please, don't be afraid to give us feedback, either via our Discord. Twitter, post it on the website, comments. We read everything. We take everything to heart. Give us feedback so we can make this podcast better. Exactly. And thank you so much for listening. And remember that there is strength in numbers. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving there's strength in numbers.